Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I am so thrilled that you would choose to spend some time here with me today. I hope everybody had a lovely Christmas and I hope everybody is gearing up for what hopes to be a much better 2021. Um, as we know, 2020 has been kind of ass, low key. Like, I don't want to say the worst year in human history because, you know, there was like the Black Plague and the Holocaust and everything and a couple world wars back last century. So I don't want to go that far. But for a lot of us, it's something that we never lived through before. Just like every day, constant shit happening between coronavirus, half the world being on fire. It feels like with Australia and California, uh, the passing of multiple people way too early. I'm thinking Chadwick Boseman, Kobe Bryant, amongst others, of course. But I mean, I feel like we've been trying to make the best of it. Um, yeah, like, it's so weird trying to talk about 2020 because being positive is just like, it's so difficult when dealing with some shit like this. But you kind of have to do it because if you're just constantly being pessimistic, it really just like, it's really draining, not only to you, but to all the people around you. Like, they don't want to sit like, they don't want to sit and, and talk with you if you're being pessimistic all the time. There is, of course, a fine line between being pessimistic and being real. Like, it's okay to sit down and talk about what's going on, but do so, doing so objectively is probably the most important thing, I'd say. Um, as for me, I know we're kind of backtracking a little bit here, but I had a wonderful Christmas. It was very quiet at my household, not being able to travel, or I don't want to say not being able to travel, but not really making travel plans with everything going on. I got my grandma in town. She spent the holidays with us and she's older. I don't want to say she's at risk, but you know, kind of just like being old is enough to be at risk, I guess. Like, I think the government and everything, they consider anyone over the age of 50 or like 51 to be at risk for the coronavirus, which is crazy because like 51 ain't really that old. Like I'm halfway to 51, which is fucking crazy. And both of my parents are around that age. So it's just like, it, it's so weird to see them at risk. But anyway, it just made sense to spend the holidays at the house with the family, um, the five or the six of us. My girlfriend came over, my sister's boyfriend came over, my girlfriend's parents came over on Christmas Day, but we never exceeded more than like eight people. And it was cool just being able to chill, just like chill out with the family and not really gallivant all over the place. Because I'm sure as you guys know, if you're in a relationship and you're not old enough to host the holidays you spend a lot of time bouncing around splitting the days doing one day doing the other not being able to do that was i i really enjoyed it because it was nice just being able to sit down and relax typically like on previous holidays we would just be tra I, I would be traveling all over the place with my girlfriend going out to you know different places on long island and going to see my grandpa before he passed away so all like with all the driving and everything we were spending like two two and a half hours on the road both days it was just so tiring man and then like having to go there and be entertaining and be nice to people and you know have conversations like i'm not saying that i hate going out and seeing other people but like if if you guys are like if you guys do a lot of time spend a lot of time driving spend a lot of time in the car that for whatever reason is like strangely sleep inducing i don't know if it's just like the monotony of the task especially like depending on when you leave on christmas eve christmas day like the roads are quiet so you're not really too worried 
about other cars and shit like that. And then, you know, you got the music on and you're kind of just like lulled into this pseudo sleep state, but you're fighting it to stay awake because you can't fall asleep while you drive because that'll just be a fucking shit show. But, you know, Christmas Eve, us Italians, we do the whole fish thing. So we went and we got a whole bunch of fish from this local shop. And my mom was telling me that her and my dad went in there and the shit was lined to the gills, no pun intended, with just like mad fish. And that's really, that's really cool. Like just seeing people going out and supporting local businesses, right? And even better, it's fucking tiring to cook for the holidays because you know, like you got to work just like hours upon hours, just marinating shit. And then like you got to go about cooking shit. And it's just so much easier to, you know, pay a couple hundred dollars to, a business that probably needs it and just go home pop it in the oven and just like not forget about that shit put the timer on for a half hour and just let it vibe but christmas eve i'm sure all of my italian listeners like italians don't be eating on christmas eve until like december 27th like that's when the christmas eve meal begins like for us we started eating at four o'clock it had appetizers we didn't start the main course until damn near 10 o'clock, man. I was, I was food coming out, bro. Just three courses, and it's like it's pasta, shrimp, ham, all types of shit. Like, the final course rolled around, and I, had, I also had a couple drinks in me. Uh, we played this one game where, I don't know why the fuck we decided to play this, but we played this one game where someone fills up shots for everybody at the table. And depending on how many people are there, there are, let's like use the eight of us, for example, there are seven shots of water, one shot of vodka. I don't understand why we decided to play this game because we had already been drinking before that, just like, you know, casually or whatever. And, but like after that, and then having a couple beers and some cocktails and shit like that, you're just like sleepy, man. And then to eat on top of that three courses. Bro, 11 o'clock rolled around, and I'm on the couch sleeping. Like, I slept through dessert, those cookies, the Ferrero, Ferrero Rocher balls, they went to waste because nobody was awake to enjoy them. And that was Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Day, you know, it was kind of like the usual shit. Everybody woke up, although, you know, when you're older and you have siblings who are, you know, older as well. um, the, Waking up on Christmas is... It's kind of just like another day, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's cool to open presents, but like, it's really all about just hanging out with the family, right? We didn't do that until like 11 o'clock. We waited forever to open presents on Christmas. And like, that was, that was fine. But even me being 24 years old, like I have such issues sleeping on Christmas Eve for whatever reason. I just, I, I can't explain it. It's impossible for me to get a good night's sleep on Christmas. I guess I'm really just that excited for Santa to come through, but Christmas Day was cool, man. Like, <clears throat> the gifts were, like, you know, I mean, the gifts are whatever. It gets to a point when, like, you're of working age and you can buy everything that you want. Like, really the only thing I wanted was the next generation Xbox, which didn't happen, unfortunately, because all you goddamn robots and all you goddamn scalpers and shit bought up all the fucking systems fuck y'all by the way but you know we got some other we got a bidet like that was kind of lit i <laughs> i went into the family group chat a couple months ago i was like hey 
anybody want a bidet? Like a bidet attachment. It was, uh, it's from Tushy, hellotushy.com. And that's not an ad, by the way. We haven't gotten a chance to use it because you got to hook it up to the water, to the water and everything. And we just had no time. But we got a bidet attachment for the family, which is kind of lit. I also got a pair of these super dope Ugg slippers. I haven't taken these off since I got them. And every time I do, like if I got to go to the gym or I got to put on actual sneakers, a little piece of me dies inside because they're just so goddamn comfy and they're warm, but they're not warm to the point where like your feet sweat, if that makes any sense. Like they're very breathable. And I don't know if maybe that's like the socks, because I also found out this year that I was that I'm actually an old man because my sister texts me and she's like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, I need socks. Like, just socks. That's how you know you're old when you're asking for fucking socks on Christmas. I remember being a, a little kid and just not really appreciating how awesome it was to get, like, socks and underwear on Christmas because no one wants to go out and buy that shit. And I have maybe, I had maybe, like, 12 pairs of socks. Like, I couldn't wear more than one pair of socks a day. Now, I got the hookup with 12 pairs of Nike socks. Dude, I'm chilling. I am chilling hard. And really the highlight of Christmas, aside from hanging out with everybody, was just being able to sit the fuck down and just enjoy some NBA basketball for a change. Because as I mentioned earlier, every year before this, it's just constant travel back and forth, an hour this way, an hour out east, an hour out west. And I couldn't really ever like sit down and watch the basketball games, which kind of bummed me out because like being where I'm at, you know, doing this and writing and stuff like that, you know, it was kind of... I don't want to say it was necessary, but like you'd at least want to sit down and catch a little bit of the games, right? So I pretty much planted my ass on the couch all day and just vegged out watching some NBA basketball. Um, As we know, some of the games were a little eh. The Nets, I know the Nets turned up, bro. I was so happy to watch them. Let me just go to the schedule real quick. I remember I didn't really catch that much of the opening day game or the open yeah the opening game for that day. Heat Pelicans. Uh, I really had no interest in watching the early game to be honest, mainly because I I simply didn't want to. The twelve o'clock game is always like the least watchable in my opinion. And no disrespect to Zion and Brendan Ingram and Jimmy Butler and everybody, but like that game was just not really on my list. Um, the game after that, I thought it would have been a fun game, but of course. No Draymond for the Warriors. No Clay Thompson either. And seeing how they got manhandled by the Nets on opening day, um, I knew there was nothing that I knew it was just going to be a wash. I jokingly said to my friend, I was like, hey, I got the I got the Bucks by 30 today against the Warriors. And what do you know? They went out and they won by fucking 39. I think that's 39. Yeah, 39. And then the Nets played a fantastic game against the Celtics. I was so impressed by how they came out that day. Just KD and Kyrie, man, when that duo was on, and we're going to get to that in a little second, when that duo was on, they're just unstoppable, I feel like. Just hands down, they, are, they just operate on a different plane of existence. They are so transcendent compared to the rest of the NBA that it's a joke, almost. And then the Lakers got a little bit, kind of let it, kind of beat up on the Mavericks, man. I thought that, to me, it was going to be the best game of the day, and it wasn't, if that makes any sense. Like, really, none of the games were that close. Like, I feel like, I mean, 
the Nets and Celtics game was competitive for like the first three quarters. I'm just double checking this now. And like Brooklyn, they really pulled away in the fourth, dude. They outscored Boston 37 to 18. Like it was it was shaping up to be a good game. And then Kyrie turned it on and was like, bro, fuck this. Like Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. But I want to just stay on the topic of my Nets for a second. The last couple of days, it's just been like nothing but pain and suffering for whatever reason. Um, they have they suffered two back to back losses, which never, never, never good. I mean that that's really the best way I could say it. But on the surface, these losses are not they're not cut from the same. They're not comparable in any way. I feel like so. I'm just gonna go to the game against the Hornets, which they lost on Sunday. Heartbreaker. I think it came down to KD at the buzzer just bricking a shot. I mean, you know, it happens. Sometimes the shots just don't fall. And what you notice throughout these games is that when KD and Kyrie are present, it's an entirely different team, right? Game on Sunday. Combined for 54, I believe. Meth is correct. 29 and 25 is, I believe, 54. But not a lot of help from anybody else. Joe Harris, forgettable performance, 5 of 12, 13 points. Spencer Dinwiddie, 5 points in 15 minutes, only got 4 shot attempts. Karis LeVert was just not it at all. 4 of 12 shooting, 25 minutes off the bench. Brooklyn was minus 12 with him on the court too. That's awful. Same deal with Jared Allen. Landry Shamit missed 9 shots in 13 minutes. I didn't realize it was that bad. Oh my god. Dude, nine, oh of 9 in 13 minutes. Holy crap. That's just unacceptable. Now, again, they were in this game because of KD and Kyrie. And as I've said in the past, this team is still, I believe, one piece away from being an actual contender. Like, they're simply not that deep. And if, like, if the rest of the year were to continue like this, unfortunately it won't because Spencer Dinwiddie is out with a partially torn ACL. So he is not, he's not part of the team right now. It's just, it's going to be so difficult. And you saw, and their lack of depth was, I don't want to say it was exposed against Memphis on, what was that, uh, Monday night. But it's clear that this team still has a lot of shit to figure out. In that game against Memphis, which they lost in overtime by five points, 116-111. Karis Levert, 28 points, 11 assists, five steals. Fantastic performance. He was a little inefficient. Shot 12 of 29, but seven of those misses were from three. And he only got to the line two times, which I thought was a little strange, especially considering he took 22s. Like, I, I don't know what happened with that game. Like, I don't remember all the shots off the top of my head, but to get 29 shot attempts and only two free throws, that's... A little weird. I think that played into his his inefficiency a lot because, like, if you're going to the basket, sometimes you're throwing up a bad shot and just expecting to get a call, which I know is kind of foolish, but like that's kind of just how NBA players play. And following him, we had 21 points from TLC. Was not expecting that. Joe Harris again, just kind of average at best. 14 points, five of 13 shooting. Like this is not the Joe Harris that we're used to. And then. Off the bench, Chris Gioza, 14 points in 26 minutes, pretty good. Landry Shamit was non-existent, basically. Jared Allen played 22 minutes. 
DeAndre Jordan played about 30. DeAndre Jordan was on the court late in the game, ahead of Jared Allen, for whatever reason. I I don't know why Steve Nash thought that would be a good decision. Um, yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm at, I'm at a loss, especially because you know Jonas Valanciunas was just eating. He was eating on the on the glass, right? Fourteen boards, fourteen, all of which were defensive. And Kyle Anderson had seven boards. Overall, Memphis had 56 rebounds. Brooklyn had 50. 15 of them came from Jared Allen. Nine from DeAndre Jordan. Uh, Like, I get that DJ was a little bit better defensively, right? Four blocked shots. Also had five assists, which is kind of amazing. But you you gotta play the matchups, man. Like, and I get that Steve Nash is a rookie head coach, but he's got people on the bench that know what they're doing. Jacques Vaughn was with the team last year. He should know how the rotations go. I don't understand why Jared Allen wasn't getting any minutes down the stretch over DeAndre Jordan, especially when you needed a big-bodied rebounder. He had 15 boards in 22 minutes. Like, let's see. We're, he grabbed 33% of the rebounds that were available to him last night. A third of all missed shots had a chance of landing in Jared Allen's hands. For comparison, Jonas Valanciunas was at 18%. I'm scratching my eyebrows here because I, well, they're itchy, one, and just because I I don't understand the thought process behind this. Like, this is basic stuff. Like, I'm sitting there watching the game, thinking to myself, Jared Allen needs to be on the court right now. There is nothing, there, there's no other way to go about it. It was a silly mistake, and I know that the Nets were without KD and Kyrie, and they were rested. I understand why they're rested, because load management is going to be, um, it, it's going to be necessary this season. Now, I think... They should have maybe played limited minutes because you really don't want to lose two game two games against inferior opponents. I get that it's a back to back, but you know, Katie and Kyrie, they're vets, right? I'm sure they wanted to be out there, and the coaching staff was just like, "No, we 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 can't risk it," which I don't understand. Like you can still play them for 20 25 minutes, right? They're going to produce for you in that time, but I don't want to put this on them because when they are on the court. The Nets are one of the best teams in the East. Now, they're going to need a lot of help and a lot of help going forward because Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be absent for the rest of the season, right? I'm just going to pull up the numbers right now. And I haven't seen much on the internet talking about Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I guess that's kind of a good thing and a bad thing because, one, he hasn't really deserved to be talked about through the three games that he played in three games, right? 6.7 points, three assists, 37.5% shooting in 20 minutes. That is probably the worst basketball Spencer Dinwiddie has played in his NBA career. It's close to it. Like the first two years when he was in Detroit, he wasn't playing a lot, not putting up a lot of points. But, you know, when you're fresh out of the league, coming off an ACL injury, 
I think he was coming off an ACL injury out of Colorado. Like, you're not expected to put up numbers. This, this year was way different. You know, this is a guy who is one of the best six men in the league, right? Contender for the award for the last two seasons. Or not the last season, but um, the year before. One of the most improved players over time. This dude averaged 20, basically 20 and 7 last year, which phenomenal. Starting point guard caliber numbers. If he shot better than 31% from three, this dude is probably averaging closer to 25, 25 points a night. 25 and 7 from a point guard who is pretty versatile, can start come off the bench, can play alongside pretty much everybody on the roster, can work with the ball in his hands, can work without the ball in his hands, can work the pick and roll, can, you know, do handoffs, come off screens, stuff like that. That versatility and Spence being so multifaceted, you would think that he would work well against KD and Kyrie because, as I said in the past, and as pretty much everybody else says, KD and Kyrie, well, KD and Kyrie dictate the offense. The system is whatever they want the system to be. They are the focal points, and deservedly so, and rightly so. I don't think you would want you you wouldn't bring on KD and Kyrie without, you know, pretty much acquiescing to whatever they want to do. And I'm sure what they want to do on the basketball court is they really just want the ball in their hands because when the ball is in their hands, you're looking at, at least to me, Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer who has ever lived. Like, if you're just looking at him in a basketball sense, just technically, this dude is seven feet tall. He dribbles like a guard. He shoots like a guard. He can play in the post. He is a lethal three-level scorer who just now is learning how to be more of a playmaker. And when you have a forward who is a playmaker, they become almost unguardable. Because not only do you have to prevent them from getting their buckets, but you got to prevent them from getting buckets for other people. But throwing that aside, when you talk about some of the greatest scorers, the greatest pure scorers that the NBA has ever seen, right? You're talking about Michael Jordan. You're talking about Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, I'd probably be willing to throw Kareem in there just because he was so prolific. But like, he doesn't really compare to some of the guards, the other guards that are in this conversation. Um, another guy, probably George Gervin, I'd be willing to put in there. Um, Steph Curry is another guy, just people who can get their shots from wherever, whenever, and pretty much however they want to get their shots. Like if Kevin Durant decides that he's going to score 40, you know, you kind of just have to be like, as a defense, like, okay, we're going to let him get 40. Hopefully he doesn't get 60, but you kind of just focus on stopping everybody else, right? Kyrie Irving is pretty much the same thing, just a couple inches shorter. I mean, these guys, again, they are just, when they're out there, and you saw it in the first two games, when they're out there, they're, the defense just, it's almost as if the defense just turns into a bunch of, like, junior high-level defenders. I mean, Kyrie, these are Kyrie Irving's numbers. He's averaging 29 points on 61% shooting, 56% from three. 65.5% from two. He hasn't missed a free throw, and yet he's only gone to the foul line. To, he's gone to the foul line. Where are the total game stats? He's gone to the foul line. Where's he at? Eight times in three games. Like, I know he's not going to continue at that pace. 29 points per game is certainly attainable. Uh, the shooting percentages are not. 
Uh, Kyrie is probably going to finish around 52% overall and maybe about 38 from three. Um, I do expect him to get to the line more frequently as the season gets started. And then you got KD right behind him, 26.7 points on 52%, on 53% shooting. Um, His three ball has been absolutely just sensational. Nine of 13 in three games, just amazing. And the minutes, they're at about 31 minutes a night, a little bit less than 32. These guys are simply on another level. The fact that Kevin Durant looks this good is frightening. Like, it's indescribably frightening. It's like Michael Myers, almost. He's just, you can't kill him. Every time you think you got to stop on KD, what does he do? He comes down and fucking shits on you. Like, that's, that's just how it is. And the Nets have two of these guys. Not just one, they have two. Two. Right? We acknowledge LeBron James as arguably the greatest player, the greatest basketball player of all time. He's certainly in that conversation. But at least in regards to Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant is a far superior scorer He's to LeBron James. Way more versatile. Granted, they put up about the same numbers because LeBron just... LeBron's LeBron. He knows how to get to the basket. But in terms of polish and versatility and just having a deep bag, Kevin Durant is just, he's on another level. He's in a different galaxy. And that's no disrespect to LeBron because he's in a different galaxy with only a handful of other guys in the history of the league. Like, this is no shade to anyone who can't compete with KD in terms of scoring. Because at the end of the day, it matters. Like, it, the system also kind of matters, right? LeBron may not be as talented a pure scorer as KD, but what does he do? LeBron is probably the greatest passing forward of all time, an exquisite rebounder, an elite defender when he wants to be. Granted, it's hard for him to do that now in his old age, but LeBron back in Miami, dude, he was locking up everybody and going down to the other side of the court and putting up 27 and 7. Like, but you put Kyrie alongside Kyrie, you put Kyrie alongside him, and we've seen Kyrie do this, right? Now, I don't want to say it was easy to guard the LeBron James and Kyrie tandem, but it was definitely much more predictable, right? It was kind of because the Cavaliers, they just ran pick and rolls all day with these two. And they were like, all right, you guys got the ball. Go create something. Go find a shooter in the corner. Go score yourself. Like the Nets, they're not so one dimensional. You know, there are a lot of moving parts. There are, there are a lot of moving pieces. And KD and Kyrie are really benefiting from that, as you can tell. However, Oh, God, dude, the rest of the team needs to step the fuck up. I know it's early. Pardon me. I know it's early, and I know that there are a couple new guys that you're trying to integrate, but, like, Joe Harris producing, pretty sure he's producing, like, considerably below what he did last year. Yeah, Joe Harris is averaging his fewest points since 2017-18. Shooting numbers overall are down he's still shooting 45 percent from three which is nice but he's he's got to do more like we need to see joe harris up around 15 16 17 points a night at the minimum like we gave this dude i don't want to say we but the nets gave this dude like what 68 million in the offseason what uh yeah it was at least 60 i can't really do the math it had to be like 68 65 either way Joe Harris got a pretty lucrative contract this season. He's got to perform. 
uh, Karis LeVert. Through four games, the numbers are kind of misleading because he did pop off last night. 17 points, about six assists, and five boards. Two steals as well. Pretty good numbers, although the shooting percentages, they're fucking trash, bro. 41% overall, 30, 30 from three. That's inexcusable, especially from a guy who's going to have to be the third best player on this team. That's, that's how it is. No Spencer Dinwiddie. It's Karis LeVert now. And I don't care if he's coming off the bench. I don't care if he starts. He's got to be the third best player on this team. Another guy. Um, I think, I, yeah, I already talked about Spence underperforming. The thing with Spence, though, is we knew that at some point, or we know that at some point, if he weren't healthy, or if he were healthy, and unfortunately, this is still a crushing blow to the Nets, that this dude was going to be anywhere from 16 to 18 to even 20 points on some nights while handing out five, six, seven assists. That is a tremendous piece to lose. Even though the numbers weren't there yet, I do expect all of these guys to improve as the season goes along because, again, bringing KD into the offense, the priority is making sure that he gets into the rhythm as quickly as possible because as long as KD and Kyrie are good, the team will be competitive against most other teams or at least against most of the bad teams. Fortunately, a lot of those bad teams are in the East and they're like, if they were playing in the West, they'd have to go up against quite literally you know, an average to above average team almost every night, like Dallas, both LA teams, Denver, uh, Sacramento, well, maybe not Sacramento, but Phoenix, New Orleans, like these are all quality teams. The East doesn't really have that. And losing Spence just, or no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but you got to make sure that KD and Kyrie are in their rhythm because if they're going to be putting up 50, 55 points between the two of them, you can get like 50 to 60 other points from six other guys. That's 10 points a night. That's not really that much. And if the team is playing elite defense, which they have been through these first couple of games, like they're third in points allowed, they're first in defensive efficiency, allowing 99 points per 100 possessions. Um, a lot of that is the pace is slowed down considerably. Last year, Brooklyn was one of the faster teams in the league, finishing ninth overall. This year, they're down to 15th, getting about 102 possessions a game. But the role players are so much more key than I think some people realize. If you don't have good role players, this team is not, this team's not going to go anywhere. And I don't know how you, well, I do know how you fix it. You either just get these guys to perform better, which I don't want to, like, I don't want to throw too much dirt onto them because it is only the, they've only played four games and with a shortened off season, no training camp, like, Guys are just going to straight up look like garbage, right? I remember I saw a stat last night. Uh, it was about LeBron, actually. Like, his numbers this year, I looked, and they were just fucking trash. At least, you know, his, by his standards. Like, even after playing last night, and they, the Lakers lost to the Blazers, too. So they're now at 2-2, two and two, and I don't see anyone freaking out about them. But it's still early. Like, all of this overreaction is unwarranted. But getting to LeBron real quick. 22.8 points, six and a half assists, and seven rebounds. Scoring, way below his career average. The assists, below his career average. The rebounding is right about his career average. Although LeBron is shooting 35.7% from three, that is worth noting. But if this pace were to continue, it would be the second lowest scoring total of LeBron's career, only ahead of his rookie season when he was 19 years old, fresh out of high school. Like, LeBron has played decent basketball, but 
it's bad relative to where we're used to seeing him. And I think a lot of this is because of the shortened preseason. Or, yeah, shortened preseason, shortened offseason as a whole. Especially for teams like the Nets who went into the bubble playoffs. Granted, their run didn't last that long, but they were still there. They still only had two and a half months off. Like, that's really not that much time. And training camp is so undervalued, I feel like, because it allows you to work out a lot of the chemistry bugs early. And without that, teams are suffering. And I really, I, I understand why the NBA wanted to get the season in as quickly as possible because the sooner you start, the sooner you can get back to normal. And that's the ultimate goal. So I'm not upset at them because every team really is at the same disadvantage, right? And that's why the standings look so fucking weird. Like right now in the East, after three games, there are three undefeated teams. You got Atlanta. Orlando, Cleveland, and Indiana. That's four, actually. Wow, I'm fucking dumb. They're combined 12-0. These teams are not that good, right? Everyone knows these teams are not that good. Like, once push comes to shove, these, these teams are going to be definitely not in the top four spots. But, I mean, teams like Boston, 1-2. Miami is 1-1. One one. Philly is 2-1. Toronto is 0-2. Like, Milwaukee is 1-2. They lost to the Knicks couple nights ago like teams that are integrating a lot of new players are gonna struggle to begin the season more so than everybody else I mean the Lakers perfect example they had probably the best post the best offseason in my opinion and they're at two and two right now like Dallas one and two Golden State one and two Houston oh and two uh granted Houston is without a couple of guys because of coronavirus um the Clippers two and one like all these teams are struggling with the same issue. And really the teams that are performing better are the teams that aren't like dealing with bringing in so many moving pieces, especially like guys that they're trying to work into a contender. Like, and this is all like, I, I straight, this is a fucking incredible tangent. This is all because I said, I don't want to shit on the nets too hard to begin the year, because I think that all these guys are going to come around. The vert's going to come around. Joe Harris is going to come around. I think that if the Nets are serious about contending, they need to give Jared Allen more time. Um, I don't know who they would take the minutes from, but he's got to be on the court. Like His rebounding numbers this year are exceptional. 11.8 a night, 7.5 on the defensive end, 4 on the offensive end. Like That is invaluable production that needs to be there. Um, who, it's another guy that needs to get their shit together. Landry Shamet. I don't think Landry Shamet had. I haven't seen him hit a three this year. Granted, I haven't watched every minute of every game, but he's only hit like what one. Landry Shamet is three of eighteen from downtown. He's got to be better. Who else has to be better? I'm trying to trying to think of who who else I can shit on. Um, Torian Prince. He's got to be better too, but I don't know how. Likely that is. I mean, the Nets really, they just got to figure out what the role player situation is like. And it's just very unlucky that this happened to Spencer Dinwiddie. And I really do wish him uh, a speedy recovery. I haven't put too much stock in this season in particular. I feel that this was going to be a bumpy year and the Nets would kind of coast by on the talent of KD and Kyrie. But still, like, you never want to see someone who is so crucial to what you're building go down because it's just it's very deflating and the morale 
kind of gets lowered. I mean, I don't know if they feel that way in the locker room, but like when I got the news that Spence had a partially partially torn ACL, I was just like, damn, bro, that fucking sucks. Like, and he's someone who's dealt with injuries in the past. Like, you just never want to see good players sidelined. I mean, and he's got big shoes to fill. Just knowing, again, just knowing the kind of production that he can put forward, like, it's going to be, it's going to be super difficult. Um, okay, so I'm trying to, like, not feel any more pain, so I'm going to move on from the Nets. And another thought that I had, <laughs> I forgot when I had this. I think it might have been opening night. Or not the opening night. Um, The second opening night. The second opening night? Yeah, whatever. You guys know what the fuck I'm talking about. The second day of games. I was watching the Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker. Devin Booker is one of the best young players in the NBA right now. This dude has just been fucking sensational the last couple of years. Elite scorer. Can score from all over the place also. Has turned into a phenomenal passer as well. And I was thinking, what would it take for Devin Booker to win the MVP this year? Or to maybe be a finalist? Now, hold on. Stop. Don't fucking jump down my throat quite yet. Why am I saying this? Well, Devin Booker puts up fucking incredible numbers. In case we forgot, let me just go back to his player page. In case we forgot, ladies and gentlemen, where the fuck is he? Devin Booker last season averaged 26.6 points and six and a half rebounds. He shot 49% from the floor and 35% from three. Those are MVP caliber numbers, right? The issue is that Phoenix has been dog shit for the last couple of years. Last season, they won 34 games, right? Finished 34 and 39. Respectable, especially considering the seasons they've had in the past, but not good at all, at least relative to where they're trying to go. This season, they go out, or this offseason, they go out, they make a couple moves. They kind of retool the roster a little bit, right? Kelly Oubre's gone. Chris Paul is in. Jay Crowder is in. And they're pairing those two with Michael Bridges, Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and someone who uh, I wanted to talk about last week when I was talking about like the up-and-coming second-year players, but Cameron Johnson. I had this gut feeling that Cameron Johnson was going to have a breakout season. And it's a shame I didn't fucking talk about it because this cat is kind of balling right now. He's at about 15 points and shooting 40% from three. This team, right? That the depth is a little wonky. Um, also, DeAndre Ayton is, he's only averaging 11 points. He's averaging 11.7 boards though. I want to see Ayton get involved more in the offense, but like the Suns are also one of those teams that are, that have been really hit hard by this shortened off season because you know, Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, they're going to be big pieces, pieces of the rotation. Right now, Jay Crowder and Chris Paul are fourth and third in minutes per game. They're huge to what the Phoenix Suns are trying to do. With that said, Suns are two and one. They are technically first in the Western Conference, but that's, that's not really anything to go off of. The defense has been outstanding. They have a really talented defensive unit, I feel, at least has the potential to be talented. Maybe not like best in the association talented, but definitely top 10 if they get their shit together. The offense, though, has been very wonky. They're at 108.3 points a night, 
and an offensive rating of 108.1, which ranked 24th and 16th, respectively. Um, a lot of this is because Devin Booker is not getting to the free throw line as much. I'm about to sneeze. Okay. Never mind, I sucked it in. <clears throat> Devin Booker is at 4.3 free throw attempts per game, which, as we know in the past, a big portion of his repertoire is getting to the line. Kind of, just, He kind of just like abuses defenders, and he's one of those guys where if he continues at this trajectory, in a couple of years, we're going to be talk about him, talking about him as maybe the best scorer in the NBA. I think that's not really a hot take just because he's shown that at 24 years old, he's already like approaching that conversation. So the reduced free throws have deflated his scoring average to 22.7. He's still shooting relatively respectively, 47% overall, 31.6% from three, which is also an issue. Um, quite possibly, though, the biggest issue is that this kid has 19 turnovers in three games. I have to go back and just like watch some of, his some of this tape because how do you have 19 turnovers already? That's just like mind-boggling. And I think that's a big reason why the Suns are kind of just like off to the sluggish start because nothing gets going right 20 oh my god this kid on a percentage basis Devin Booker is committing a turnover nearly one out of every four possessions four offensive possessions one of them is going to end in a turnover that is horrific I don't know the exact reasoning for that I have to go figure it out because that's fucking absurd but i can tell you without a doubt that is why the phoenix off phoenix Suns offense is struggling and that's also probably why every everyone's scoring numbers are down like look at chris ball 12.7 ayton 11 jay crowder 7.7 .7. granted he was never really a like a big scoring guy anyway um devin booker his numbers aren't tanked because it's either he scores or he turns the ball over that's kind of what i'm ascertaining from all of this. The fact that Michael Bridges is at 16 points a game is incredible. And the same thing for Cam Johnson. But then again, like if he's just kicking it to an open guy on the perimeter, that's not really that difficult of a pass. I'd expect him to make that relatively easily. But once he cleans his shit up, right? And Chris Paul starts scoring more. And DeAndre Ayton starts scoring more. And Michael Bridges and Cameron Johnson continue to give you about 30 points between them. If Devin Booker creeps up to 27 or 25 26 27 points gets up to six seven assists and the suns are winning about 55 percent of their games i have this gut feeling that devin booker will definitely earn some mvp votes because for me a big piece of the mvp conversation is winning you gotta win bro you can't be a good player on a bad team and be in the MVP race. That really doesn't. You didn't do anything. You're the most valuable player. By just like by default. Like who else are they going to fucking go to. Right. I love Bradley Beal to death. And last season he put up MVP caliber numbers. But there was no chance. He was winning with that junior varsity. Washington Wizards team. No shot. I would love to see Bradley Beal go to a good team. And you know. If not win an MVP, at least like be talked about more, be more widely recognized, but it's not happening on that team. Devin Booker 
has crawled out of that hole, basically, because the Suns, like, they've built a respectable team, at least on paper. Like, this is a team that can... If they don't finish at 500, it's a waste of a season. Like, this team is pretty fucking good, man. You can't look at me and tell me otherwise, because they've got talent. They've got an all-NBA caliber player in Devin Booker. Chris Paul is still a very, very solid point guard. DeAndre Ayton has the potential to be a fantastic two-way center. And if they're getting production from Michael Bridges and Cam Johnson, and Cameron Payne is also averaging fucking nine points a night, like, I don't see how this team finishes with fewer than 36 wins. I think that's half of 72, 36, yeah. I don't see how this team finishes finishes with fewer than 36 wins. If they do, it's a travesty. And I'm not saying they should blow it up, but they got to fucking do something because there's there's just there's no way that should happen it's just it's simply it it would be simply inexcusable if i'm being honest again just like with the talent this team has they are they should be good and if they are good and devin booker is leading that charge he can seriously make some mvp he can seriously gain some traction for the mvp or maybe oh siri shut up Siri always, like, I don't understand how Siri always just, like, thinks I'm talking to her when I'm not, like, I think that's the third week in a row that's happened, and I'm not even saying, like, hey, Siri. She didn't do it there. That's wonderful. But, like, anyway, before I was so rudely interrupted by this robotic bitch, like, I think it'd be kind of cool to see Devin Booker finally get some, like, national recognition because i feel that he's been getting the short end of the stick a lot we shit on young players who put up numbers on bad teams but i feel that we shit on devin booker extra hard just really for no reason like he he didn't ask to be on the phoenix suns like he got drafted by a team that won like three games the year before he got drafted they won 39 whatever but they won 23 with him as a rookie right he didn't ask to go to this team he didn't ask to go to arguably the biggest laughing stock in the league and to his credit dude he has really really helped turn the franchise around like it it's remarkable it really is remarkable to see how devin booker's development has like just been parallel with the Phoenix Suns improvement I guess I can't even think of another way to describe it uh, I really just want to see him get back to that level right because oh my god my throat's getting dry dude coffee out of thermos is just it hits different man it hits different this shit has been on my desk for 50 minutes still hot bro I love it shout out to Yeti by the way Hashtag not an ad, but <clears throat> I wanted to touch on something else. I can't remember what the fuck it was. I know it was like the Clippers getting absolutely fucking sodomized the other night, bro. How do you, how are you a professional basketball team and you get shit on this badly? 51 points, bro. 51 you lost by 51 fucking points 
How? How? Someone explain it to me. Because as far as I'm concerned, Mavericks defense is not that good, right? Like statistically, even statistically, they're not that efficient. They're 14th. I mean, they are sixth in points allowed, but that's because they're the second slowest team in the league. So fewer possessions automatically means that you're going to score or that you're going to allow fewer points. That's just how it works. They're an average defensive team at best. Like Luka is not an elite defender. Josh Richardson is decent. I mean, he's above average. I'll give him that. Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, they have a couple good guys, but like to allow 73 points, to not score more than 73 points is just, uh, it's laughable, actually. Look at this, seven points from Paul George, or 11 points, 15, holy shit, I can't read. 15 points from Paul George, 13 from Serge Ibaka, seven points from Luke Kennard. The crazy thing is that if Kawhi Leonard plays, and he puts up 25, they still lose by 25, or they lose by 26, but they still get blown the fuck out. Like, that's the crazy thing. They were just, like, historically bad. They were so bad that the Mavericks played quite literally everybody on the roster. They had the five starters, and then off the bench, James Johnson, Carly Stein, Trey Burke, Maxi Kleber, Jalen Brunson, Wes Wundu, Josh Green, seven, Boban, eight. They played... 13 people that has to be the whole roster and Terrell Terrell Terry got eight minutes I don't even know who that is who is this man uh, yeah I don't I don't even know who the fuck that this guy is this shit's fucking wild bro they really got blasted like they were down 50 in the first half bro they scored 27 points in the first half 27 points in 24 minutes, bro. This is like high school level shit. I'm pretty sure I played in games where, of course, we didn't score 73 points because we were ass. But like the team we were going against put up 73 in a game. Like, I just... uh, And the crazy thing is too, Luka didn't even pop off like that. He had 24 points in 25 minutes. I mean... Just historically bad. Like, you can hear me. I'm fucking just beside myself with how poorly the Clippers played that night. And this was after they had beaten, who'd they play the night before? They beat Denver, and then they beat the Lakers on opening night. And then Kawhi sits, and they just get, they literally get the shit beat out of them by a Dallas Mavericks team who had no business beating them that badly. I mean, I love Luka Doncic, and I think that Dallas has a very good team, but they're not beating anybody by 51. There is nobody. The best team in the league right now would not beat the worst team by 51 points. Like, I wonder, just like, Because there was that whole shit with Jerry West and, like, they allegedly tampered to get Kawhi Leonard, which I don't know if I believe the story that came out, but there may have been some actions that would, I don't even want to say, like, they may have, they, they probably did what every other team 
does. Like I, I don't believe that any team in the NBA is following the tampering guidelines 100%, but like nothing they're doing, I feel is too, it isn't too outrageous. Like what the Bucks did and what the Kings did was dumb, right? Blatant tampering. But I don't think anyone else is going to those lengths. Like I don't even know the NBA tampering rules, but if guys are talking and agents are talking to players, like what, how are you going to police every individual discretion? Now, this dude comes out and wants two and a half million dollars from Jerry West. I don't, I, why, what's funny with some of these stories is the timing, right? A lot, you could tell, I feel you could tell a lot about a story just by the timing of it, right? The season's about to start, and then all of a sudden, this guy comes out and says that the Clippers never paid him. Well, why didn't you come out and say it earlier? Did they give you this arbitrary timeline? It's like, okay, we're going to wait a year. Like, Kawhi has been on the Clippers, bro. Wouldn't it make sense for them if, I'm saying, uh, this is entirely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? This is entirely speculative, but if you were conspiring with the Los Angeles Clippers to sign Kawhi Leonard, and you tell them, hey, I can get Kawhi to sign with you. You just got to do X, Y, and Z. Wouldn't you want your payout almost immediately after he signs? Because you did your job. It's done. Kawhi's there. Why are you waiting a year plus to bring this up? Like, I just think the timing is a little, is a little sus. Like, again, do I think that the Clippers are entirely innocent? I'm sure they're mostly innocent. They may have done a thing or two that would constitute tampering but i don't think it would be something to this degree like they're buying Kawhi's uncle dennis a house or some shit and giving him an expense account dude no shot the owner is no shot that's happening that's that would be so stupid of the clippers to do that if they are actually proven to be guilty they deserve whatever the punishment is because like how are you gonna be that dumb like there are smart people that work behind the scenes in NBA organizations. I don't think anyone's allowing that to happen. So maybe this was karma. I don't know. Maybe this dude was like, maybe they didn't pay him $51. Like that was his going rate. He's like, give me 51 bucks and I'll get you Kawhi. And they're like, no. And then they get fucking washed by 51. I don't think any of this is true. I, you know, I think the Clippers are innocent. I think that, you know, Kawhi, if we're just going to think about Objectively, the signing of Kawhi Leonard. One, he probably, when he met with the team, he was probably like, I'll sign here, but you guys got to go out and try to get somebody else. And I'm, I don't know if names were named because maybe that's tampering, but he's like, you got to go out and get, you know, an elite player to go alongside me, which is really not an outlandish request by a player of Kawhi Leonard's caliber, right? Like, if he is seriously considering coming to your team, he wants to win a championship. He doesn't care that he just won a title with the Raptors, a team that he didn't want to go to. He wants to try to win as many championships as possible. He wants multiple championships. Well, I mean, he's already got multiple championships, but he wants additional championships. So for him to be like, all right, you know, if I do come here, again, if, because this is all speculation, if I do come here, you got to try and go out and get somebody, right? That's not... I don't think anyone is saying that for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, he doesn't talk a lot, but 
when it's about his career, I feel he does a fair amount of talking to those who are like in it with him. I had another thing. I forgot what it was. Fuck. Oh, another thing. He's from L.A. Like, it's a no fucking brainer for that he would be entertaining going to his hometown team. And, oh, of course, the Lakers are there too, but he wouldn't fit on the Lakers. And, you know, Kawhi seems like a competitive dude. I don't know if you would want to team up with LeBron or AD because that just seems kind of unfair. Maybe that was his thought process. And he's like, you know, the, La- the Clippers give me the best chance to compete for a title. I'm going to go there. Like, it's really not that outlandish to think that the Clippers had to tamper to get him, right? Like, I, again, the, just the timing of the story is so fucking weird. Like, and it's an old story, and we've kind of already forgot about it. But, yeah, that's, it's just, I, I, I still can't believe they got beat. They got smacked that hard, bro. Like, that's the type of shit where if you go on to 2K and you turn all of the sliders down, you still won't get beat by 51. Like, that's just fucking ridiculous. And I think with that, I'm just like, I don't think there's anything else that I wanted to mention. I mean, it was really just Spencer Dinwiddie and Devin Booker, and I kind of just ranted about this. And yeah, with that, I'm going to close it out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if this is for your first time, welcome. I'm hoping that you decide to come back at a later date. As always, you can find all the necessary links in whatever, in the description of whatever podcast provider you have. Links to Twitter, Instagram, all that good shit. And of course, any way that you can support the show is welcomed. If you want to subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. If you want to follow on Spotify, whatever you got to do, just know that I'm very thankful for it. And I will see you guys next week.